What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. Hi, I'm Michael Morisi, author of Star Wars, The Clone Wars Battle Tales, and you're listening to The Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. A Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. A Utini production. At Delta 36, transient 936, bearing 32 on a moon in the Andor system. Episode 51, The Rise of Skywalker Roundtable, Part 2. We're not alone. On this episode, a Trees in the Jar update. But there are more of us, Poe. Plus new character details from the High Republic. I sense unease. About my appearance, General Hawks. And the Utini crew talks about the Rise of Skywalker Expanded Edition by Ray Carson. About the mask? No, sir. Well done. And now, here are your hosts. No, 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 thank you. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, and birthday boy Dr. Charles Hankel. And Wes. Right. Testing, testing, testing. Hey, hey. Right. <laughs> there waves. Uh, Sorry. That's how we should start every episode. Wait, 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 wait. Oh my god, hold on, hold on. This is madness. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, and it, much. And it is madness. But more importantly, it is episode 51 of the Living Force Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me, as always, are the doctors. We have Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, man. What is happening? And we have Dr. Charles Hankel. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, and from way down south, but way north in our hearts, is Wes Jenkins. Hey, buddy. What's up, guys? Not a whole lot. Welcome to this episode, everyone. We are going to be talking more about the Rise of Skywalker Expanded Edition, the novelization. It's its full Christian name by Ray Carson later on in the show. (laughs) 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 But before that happens, I wanted to give... The most important shout-out. The first shout-out to the birthday boy, Charles Hankel. Happy birthday. Hey. Happy birthday, man. You're <laughs> old you as dirt. Yep. You're finally I, 18. I you can vote. I'm so happy for you, Doogie Hauser. <laughs> Doogie Hauser. <laughs> yeah, how was your birthday, man? I get birthday, called that at least once a week. <clears throat> it was good. It was nice. I actually managed to have the whole weekend off, and so I just kind of spent it at home. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a big deal, man. Spending at home with Nicole and Coda and uh, had, like, FaceTime brunch with Nicole's family and had, you know, like, a FaceTime session with my family, too. So it's all good stuff. That's great. Well, we are so glad. We're just so glad that you had a good birthday. I know it's it's weird for – I have friends that, like, the Facebook birthdays pop up in the quarantine times, and I'm like, these are going to be some weird, like, Facebook memories and time hops of, like – how was your birthday in 2020, the lost year? Yeah. yeah. You know? But, you yeah. know, I will say this. Um, shout out to not just the Utini community, but, like, the the Discord in particular. I had a lot of people who I haven't even had the pleasure of, like, really chatting with before who were reaching out and saying happy birthday. So I really appreciated that. Um, just seeing the kind of community we have built up is it's really nice. Feels yeah. good. Well, good. Solid job, Discordians. You made Charles's day. Well done. Now, on another note, that's maybe happier or not as happy. Corey, tell me about them sexy tree jars. <laughs> <of yours. laughs> the tree jars. <clears throat> well, I think I told you guys last week that the that we made four more. I think I said that right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I made four more. I don't have any within reach. I always forget to bring them in here. I need to grab some. Oh, I don't um, think you actually well, make them. <laughs> yes, I, 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 will, I will take pictures of all of them and put them in Discord. Hell yes. Anyway. Hashtag Terrarium so, channel. Ter- 
108 yeah. new notifications. That's right. <laughs> so the trees in the jars have been doing good, but this week we've mostly been focusing on outdoor terrariums. And by outdoor terrariums, I mean outdoor normal plants. I was going to say, isn't that just the <laughs> so, world? Yes, just that's, the that's world. That's just nature. So, I am so flipping sore because we hauled off like a ton of these huge plants and I put them all, I made this enormous pile of brush in my front yard that I was absolutely convinced there is no way the trash people are going to take all this. And I watched them come in here today with one of these big trucks with the big like scoopy thing on it and he loaded, it filled up the entire dump truck. I, I, I shit you not. Like, <laughs> I want to be I in on like, that meeting when I, they're like, I can't believe that. Oh God, it's that guy. We got to bring out the crane. I know. It's ridiculous. Like it, it was, it was easily like five days worth of work, like ten feet by twenty feet wide pile of brush, and he filled, put it all in his truck today. Like I don't know if I, I if it's just included in my city bill. I don't really know. Your, like your I pay for trash pickup. Go up. I know I'm gonna get a bill for like three hundred dollars for trash <laughs> haul off this month or something ridiculous. But they know. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of yard work, man. It's been fun. Well, good. I'll take pictures and put them in Discord. Yeah, I feel like the more people I talk to nowadays, especially with everything that's going on in the world, having any type of external hobby or thing to do, especially mm-hmm. if it's active, is like really good for that's the right. mind. Um, well, that is me, man. I am the man of many hobbies. Damn nothing straight. Else. <laughs> Let it never be said otherwise. Um, but luckily, one of your biggest hobbies is Star Wars, as is all of ours. So we're gonna. Buzz through a couple more updates and then talk about some Rise of Skywalker, if it's okay with y'all. Also, hello to everyone in the chat hanging out right now. We love y'all. Wes is going to be on the keyboard chatting with you and trying to keep us abreast of what's going on. Speaking of things that are going on or going to be going on, upcoming podcast next week, we can already guarantee is going to be the first ever unheard of part three of the Rise of Skywalker Expanded Edition Roundtable. We would... Maybe like to think we could do this in two, but because of the scope of the project, it's going to go three. So next week, you're going to get more Rise of Skywalker content coming your way. Uh, so, hey, maybe watch the movie this week to prep for that as well. And then after that, on April 20th, we are going to start that Lost Stars roundtable. You got two weeks from tonight. We're going to be talking about Claudia Gray's masterpiece. Spoiler alert for my thoughts about that book. Uh, thanks to our lovely patrons, so be sure to tune in for that. If you're on our Patreon every single week, you get episodes of Bounty Hunt coming out. We're talking about the Clone Wars. Tonight, after this very show, in our Aftermath After Show, we are going to be recording the latest Bounty Hunt about the latest episode with Ahsoka. So tune in for that if you're watching live. If you're a Legends Look Back fan, you are getting tons of content. Lately, you got Han Solo at Star's End with Carl, who is in the chat right now, buddy. You did a great job on that show. And coming next week, which is is going to be Dark Empire. I know a lot of people got some Dark Empire love, and that's finally going to be on our show. And this Wednesday, April 8th, the first episode of The Ghost Crew with me and Charlie talking about Star Wars Rebels is dropping in that Patreon feed. So if you are in an Inquisitorious level or above, you're going to hear me and Charlie talking about Rebels every single week. And if you're new and you want to hear all these shows or even just this show, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Every week we are talking about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And please, if you'd be so kind, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. Helps people find us. And then head it over to utini.com. We got your reviews. We got articles. We got comprehensive book profiles at every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. Last thing before we get into The Rise of Skywalker, guys. We got some really special... Freaking sweet news this week. As you all know, we are looking forward to the High Republic, the aforementioned, or a four, not aforementioned, previously titled Project Luminous, uh, the new era that is coming later in this year. And over on StarWars.com, they released a bunch of character profiles. I wrote up a little article over on Utini. So if you want to head over to our blog, you can see my write up on the characters. But guys, I wanted to go through the characters we're going to get real quick. And get your thoughts. See how excited you are, okay? If that sounds doable. So our first character we got is Avar Chris, who is going to be the main character in Charles Soule's upcoming Light of the Jedi book. What do you guys think about Avar Chris's first, like, character portrait? She's, like, she's a blonde. She's said to be the best of the best of the Jedi. What do we think? Blown away? Kind of, kind of generally appeased? I'm picturing... <clears throat> do you guys remember... Uh... I don't remember the guy's name, but in the uh, Bane trilogy, the guy that 
led the Jedi, the the Army of Light. What was that oh, guy's yeah. name? Oh yeah. Um. So you remember? So there was there was that like guy. The and then there was the really like essentially. Yeah, yeah. So there was that guy who was the leader of the whole army or whatever. I can't remember what his name was, but his his like compadre that was like the most flamboyant Jedi ever yes! with his colorful capes. You remember that guy? Oh my god. That's who this reminded me of. I have no idea what that guy's name is. I cannot remember <laughs> it. I, that's if you've never read the Bane trilogy, that's super useless, but. Um, He's basically described as being like over the top, kind of Lando Calrissian mixed with the Jedi. Like, yeah, there's some epic uh, cape action going like, on with Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that vibe from this 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 chick for sure. Yeah, and she definitely talks about. This is, this, go ahead. She's a girl, right? Yes, yeah, she's a girl. Is, yeah, the, the photo is kind of manly looking a little bit. She has a bit, a bit jaw. Yeah, you know, she's a bit rounded. She has some she, strong features. Uh, she also said the so I put out the quotes on this page as well. From StarWars.com, it says, She is invigorated about life on the frontier and the challenges it brings. She's compassionate, not dogmatic, and always ready to sacrifice herself over others. So, like, it sounds like a little bit of Qui-Gon, a little bit of Obi-Wan. Like, we're breaking rules, but we're also really, like, kind of emblematic of the Jedi. So, it's very stoked about her. She's going to be coming up in Light of the Jedi on August 25th. Pre-order now. Next, we had, I know at least mine and Charles's favorite, which is the mm-hmm. Twilight Master... Loden Great Storm. Best Star Wars name? I just want to name? scream that from, like, the top of a building. <laughs> Loden Great Storm. Like, Thurm Scissor Punch and Loden Great Storm may be the two best names in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, All right. Th- that dude's name, by the way, is Valentine Farfalla. I just posted the Wikipedia article in Oh, our, that's in the, the guy from Bane. <laughs> awesome. How could you yeah, not yeah, Also a great Star name. Wars name. I was looking yes. that up and I could not find it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I, I recognize his name. Anyway, sorry to. No, you're really good, man. Uh, Great Storm is a Twilight Jedi master. He's gonna be. Uh, he's considered to be one of the best teachers in the Jedi Order. He's got a sense of humor, and he's trying to better everyone around himself. So it seems like a funny Twilight Yoda, and he's got a gold lightsaber, which is also dope. So we're carrying on the Ray tradition now of putting a lot more gold sabers into canon, right? So the Temple Guards, yeah. Ray. And Great Storm. Uh, next up, we, got, we had Keeve Trennis, who is going to be in Kevin Scott's High Republic comic. She looked dope, dope, dope as hell. Uh, she's got this awesome double-bladed green lightsaber. She's got a cool hair thing going on. She looks like a more of a younger person. Might be become one of the Lost 20, we're not sure. We had Stellan Geos, who was like a stereotypical medieval knight. He literally had the cross-guard blade we saw in the original promo images. Looks kind of like a Boy Scout. Maybe he'll actually be really cool. Don't know what, what uh, bit he's going to be in yet. And then we had Vernestra Vern Rowe, who's going to be in Justina Ireland's Test of Courage book. Uh, she's a very new Jedi Knight, and she's a Mer- 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 Mary Allen. Mary Allen, thanks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like Luminara. Um, I thought all these character portraits are really cool. I think they're very exciting. I'm glad they're still pushing this, because I think some people are getting a little yeah. worried about how all the delays in every other kind of media because of coronavirus might be pushing things. But according to Kevin Scott, at least on Twitter, there are no delays in the future for High Republic, right? We're still coming out. We're That's getting good. characters. Very excited about the momentum of that. So super shout out to this. Uh, I, I feel like this this entire era is going to do really well in books. I yes. Feel like like I, I don't think a film would, would do it quite justice, mm-hmm. but I think, I think books are really going to capture this glorious as- aspect of, of the Jedi in this era. Seriously. Paladins is a perfect way to describe it. This is exactly what they seem like. Yeah, and I, I last thing I want to say about these guys is I would really encourage people not to judge the High Republic success going forward on whether it be- then becomes a TV show or becomes a movie. Like, its success should be based on the content we're going to get. If the books are good, the comics are good, awesome. That's that's great. It's, it's not only good if it eventually becomes a more visual medium. Uh... Totally. All right, but real quick, if you guys had to pick one character who looks the coolest, who do you got? Great Storm. Oh man, Great Storm Charles. I agree. I agree. I also like Keith Trennis. Um, yeah, I like the yeah uh, Stellan Geos. Stellan maybe? Geos. Yeah, he's Geos. Man, I love that lightsaber. The dude. literal the metal cross guard hilt is freaking amazing. That's sick. Yeah, that's really sick. Stellan like Geos looks just like a knight of the round table. His whole garb yeah. plus the lightsaber. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you'd, you'd approach him on the council, and he goes, ha, a quest, absolutely. <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> what grand adventure. Yes. Like, he's that guy. 
Yes. Uh, last little bit of book news before we plunge in, guys. We also got a, a character portrait from one of my most anticipated books of the year, Alphabet Squadron Shadowfall. They released a character portrait for Soren Keys. If you guys remember, for Alphabet Squadron, they released portraits for all the main characters in a kind of a shady art style. Now Keys has his own, which is going to be on a bookmark in the Barnes & Noble edition. Head over to StarWars.com. They got more stuff about that. But uh, just maybe even more stoked. That book is coming out this summer. It's going to blow us away. Now, usually we do a couple book reviews before jumping into our main segment. But we don't got time for that. We got right to Skywalker to get to. But as always, if you want your future reviews on this show, look up your book on utini.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the book profile. You can add a star rating and a user review, and we'll put them on the show. With that, Charles, I kind of want to jump right into it. How you feeling, man? You ready? I'm ready. Are you psyched? I was born ready. Dang right. All right, it's over to you. I am done. Okay. Well, uh, Corey, you mentioned that the High Republic may be books you know, that are better than a film could have been. Speaking of other books that <laughs> are probably better than the film was, let's get down to business. Part two of the Rise of Skywalker Roundtable. And guys, we're not messing around. We're coming out of the gates hot, all right? Hotter than a father with a new brand on its butt. I didn't know where I was going with that, but I found a way through. Not an old brand. This is brand new hot. This is brand new. butt brands. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. So we are starting things off by discussing the dyad. Um, one half of the dyad first is what we're going to focus on, Ray. So kind of a big deal for this movie. Kind of a big deal. I want to yeah. start off with... Something that we thought we knew about Ray that this movie told us was wrong. So we thought she came from nobody, right? And we found out, oh, she's a Palpatine. Spoiler alert. Hopefully you don't need that. Um, on page 29, this is where I want to kick this off. We get Kylo thinking about Ray's parentage. And he basically says that he wasn't lying when he told her that they were nobodies. Um, he says, force visions are filled with tricky truths and potential realities. Maybe he had missed something. So do you buy that? Do you think that this is a good explanation for what many viewed as a 180 from what we were told in The Last Jedi? I don't think it's the best. I think that it, I think that it is what she had to do. I, I think that the idea that prophecies and visions are always in flux is is a staple of Star Wars. So by that logic, I, I totally think it makes sense, you know? Um, that being said, I I think it was an impossible thing to write, and this is maybe the best version of it we could have gotten because the fact that he literally said he saw who her parents were, we, we know logically that wasn't this was not the plan in 8. Like, we know that as humans. So if we just take sure. that logic out of it and us take the book for what it is, I give it like a seven out of ten on that execution. Okay, I have literally nothing to add to that. <laughs> that was perfect. I actually really dig it. I like this explanation because, as you mentioned, Eric, like in universe, it makes sense. This is something that we've seen before. People trying to act on force visions, etc., and getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made a lot of sense to me. And again, anytime I have a Sith telling me something. I kind of have to, you know, wonder if maybe they're lying for their own benefit. So that's that's kind of how I I came at that. But thought it was a good way to kind of start talking about all of this. So yeah. As far as Ray goes, with her kind of becoming the leader, more or less, of the resistance, and and certainly of the the small group within the resistance of Poe, Finn, all of them. Right. We find that she had a very similar journey to really what Luke had in a lot of ways in the original trilogy. And on page 57, we see her kind of realizing that what she now has uh, may not be everything that she thought it was. Um, She basically says that knowing something in her head was different than knowing it in her heart. She had understood on some level that she wasn't alone anymore, but now she knew it and it was so wonderful. It hurt. Tears filled her eyes. Loneliness was a kind of agony, but belonging was another. What is y'all's take on that? What do you think she was really trying to say? Hmm. It seems like Ray never quite understood the pressure that comes with belonging somewhere. You know, like 
like you said, Charles, she was given this leadership, whether she wanted it or not. She was given this burden. She was given this power after a life of basically being on her own and not having to answer to anyone or disappoint anyone. And I think that in the material before this, like Resistance Reborn, like um, Spark of the Resistance, we see Ray trying to understand what that pressure means. And I think that, you know, her tearing up about that is, is the fear that her friends are going to be hurt. And also the idea that she doesn't want to fail now that she's carrying on Luke, you know, this, this mentor that she had finally found. She's like, Nope, he's gone too. And Oh my God, it's all on me. So I think that was an interesting way to, to see a character that, I don't know. It seems like she was crack, cracking a lot in the in the movie. You know, like she's always at the brink mm-hmm. of like maybe falling apart. She seems very distressed, and I think this was a really nice way to put that. Yeah, Luca. Uh, Luke. Luke is kind of an interesting role in the rebellion in that he's he's kind of a he's a soldier, I guess, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, he was in the Battle of Hoth, right? And oh he yeah. Took down the the ATAT and. Ray is kind of less of that, but Luke's role is kind of weird in the rebellion. Like he's this sort of in between, in between, like person of incredible importance, but also just kind of like a, just a go getter kind of guy. Like he just does normal missions in the rebellion. It seems like he does all the way through the comics, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, but he also has this sort of mythical, legendary, you know, aspect of him as a character and. Ray, some of that is present with Ray. You know, we've had a less amount of time to sort of develop that, but it seems like everybody else looks to her as this sort of—I really don't know how to put it—like extra being that has some sort of incredible amount of importance, but nobody can really put words to. Like, and I feel like that that line or that the passage you read, Charles, kind of sums that up in a little way. Like, she is also figuring that out for herself. Like, what role do I play in all of this? She still hasn't quite figured all that out, it seems like. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. point too, Corey, that by the time we saw Luke in at the beginning of episode five, he's already like, oh, I'm going to go check it out. Like, I'm going to go. Like, he he has a role. He has jobs. He's getting, yep. he's also, he's very comfortable. And we're in the third movie with Ray, and she still isn't quite finding her. Just figuring yeah, it out. Yeah, because <clears throat> the resistance, I think, is, is was never Probably quite as solid. Yeah, some of that just comes with the timing of all the films. Yeah. Like I still, to this day, think it was maybe a bit of a mistake to pick up the next film exactly where Force Awakens left off. Mm-hmm. Like it just you have you have more storytelling potential when you have, you know, when the key players in the galaxy can can have you know machines are running and doing their thing, um, and just not that much time passed in the trilogy, right? So it was harder to portray that, and that made it challenging from a storytelling perspective. That I think the book did a decent job of of addressing it and that and that Ray doesn't know what her purpose is either yet. Yeah. Like even even now here in the third third act does not know what her purpose is. Yeah, I think y'all summed it up perfectly. I mean, she doesn't know what her purpose is and in a lot of ways she doesn't know who she is. And that actually has really nothing to do with lineage in and of itself, but just, you know, what type of person she has become through her experiences up to this point in her life. And I think we see that kind of represented in this story by a line that gets repeated to Ray by two kind of opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, We see Leia very early on in the book saying to Ray, don't be afraid of who you are. And later on in the story, we see those same exact words repeated by the vision that Ray has of her dark side self. It says it speaks the same words to her. Don't be afraid of who you are. So my question for you is, who is Rey? I mean, is she a Jedi? Is she a Sith at heart? Is she somewhere in between? Is she the gray Jedi? Like there were so many people thinking that she was going to be when this sequel trilogy kicked off. Like, where do you see her viewing herself in this spectrum when she hears these people telling her not to be afraid of who she is? I think mm, that's a good question. The end of uh, so I'm going to go to the, the end of the story, right? Because I think this changes throughout the the novel and the film, respectively. I think that by the end of the Rise of Skywalker, Rey is who she has chosen to be, because I think that's essentially the message of the whole thing: is that it doesn't matter how you were born, it doesn't matter what necessarily you thought you were supposed to do before. At the end of the day, you 
define who you are going to be by your decision. And I think by her choice at the end to adopt the Skywalker name, she is deciding to be a Jedi. She is deciding to abandon her dark past. Um, what, how much of that was inside her from the beginning, I don't think we'll necessarily know. But she's deciding that going forward, that matters so much more. And I think that, like you're saying, Charles, when Leia talks to her and her vision talks to her, I think she's trying to figure out the right answer. Like, so often when we're confused about something, we'll try to figure out what's the right decision, what's the right decision, and you'll get so caught up in making someone else's right choice that you don't listen to what's actually going on. So I think this whole book and this whole movie is her eventually throwing all of that away and just deciding for herself who I am is who I decide I will be, and that's a Skywalker. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't think we are really meant to understand exactly what her place is as the audience. I think it's it's an ever-changing ever changing thing, which is why she said at the end of the film, you know, I'm a Skywalker now. Like, what does that actually mean? It's hard to say, <laughs> to be honest, because I'm not sure she has... I'm not sure she's really given us a clear direction in which direction she's going to go. So in some ways, she kind of is a great Jedi. Yeah, like she um, built a lightsaber, so she's clearly, you know, she she is something going forward in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really would have liked to see a line. I mean, we talked about this week in uh, in Slack a little bit that they that guy animated the Colin Trevorrow script mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really liked. I think my favorite bit in that entire little bit. Uh, was when Ray had this conversation with Luke in which she said, I'm not a Jedi either, right? She says, I'm not a Jedi, I'm not a Sith. Like, why do you have to, why does it have to be polar opposites? And I think she kind of did do that in the film. Um, you know, she does say that I am, you know, I am all the Jedi, yes, but like, I mean, she's, she clearly has, has studied all this Jedi stuff and recognizes that there's some flaws with it. Yeah. <laughs> that that Luke was pretty selfish for just going off to do his own thing because it's not as black and white as everybody's made it out to be. Yeah, and I think the destruction of the Sith at the end of this film is really allowing now the Jedi to go forward, not as an anti-Sith, but as, you know, as the purest light, essentially, right. possible. Also, hi, Adam. Right. He, just posted, he just showed up. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you guys make some good points. I mean, ultimately, Rey is Rey, and we don't fully understand what that is. Yes, she's all of the Jedi, but um, we don't know what she's doing you know, what life is she building with that foundation? She could take it in a lot of different directions. And maybe we'll see that one day. Maybe we won't. Who knows? But for now, we'll just keep uh, keep speculating. So another point that I think Ray brings up in kind of her journey is something that happens really early on in, in the book, which is on page 14. And it's when she first has this big vision when she's training um, of the Sith throne. And when she's first kind of feeling called to go and sit on this throne and she makes the comment or she's thinking to herself, of course, she couldn't touch that throne. It belonged to darkness and evil. She had already chosen a different path, hadn't she? And when I read that line, what really struck me was I think the sequel trilogy does a fantastic job as opposed to any of the other trilogies in showing that it's not a decision that you make once, right? The original trilogy, a lot of it really comes down to Luke choosing the love for his father over potential power Mm -hmm. with the emperor in that moment. And then you're just led to believe, oh, and happily ever after Luke was the greatest person ever, right? But what the sequel trilogy really does is it shows you that that's a decision you have to make every day and every moment of every day. And you don't just make a decision and now you're cemented as a Sith or a Jedi for the rest of, of eternity. Right. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get y'all's thoughts on that. I mean, do you think that that was a message that they were actively trying to get across in the book as opposed to the film? Because even this simple question was not something that I necessarily picked up from the movie. I definitely didn't pick that up from the movie. I mean, we talked about that a lot in our review of the film, that it was very unclear what the uh, sort of purpose of it all was. Like, it was very confusing in the film. The whole, what, the the striking down of Palpatine, like, was that a symbolic? Remember, we talked a lot about that. Was mm-hmm. that a symbolic thing? Was it metaphorical? Were the Sith actually going to pass an array? Like, all that was very, very confusing. But it didn't really need to be. And in the film, it, or in the book, it was really clarified a whole lot that, 
Um, yes, it is symbolic, but it's also literal. But yeah, you're right that it's it's not like a constant. Uh, it's not like a one time decision that she would have had to make. Which, when we thought about it, it when we were talking about the film, it really seemed like it did. Like it seemed. Uh, how, am I, how am I trying to say? Ray assuming the mantle of the Sith and just taking over, she could have just called off all the ships, but it's more than that. Like, if she would have assumed the mantle of the Sith, she would have sort of turned away from her entire belief system, which I think is what the film was trying to do, but didn't really do a great job of. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think that I didn't get a lot of that from the film either, Corey, and you you bring up a lot of great points about it. And to go further on what you, you brought up there, Charles, I think that we've seen this with Kylo from the beginning as well. Think episode seven, right? I feel it again. The call to the light. Remind me how powerful mm-hmm. the dark is. Like he was actively, he was forcing himself to make the choice every day to, to be dark because the light was still there. I think that's what makes him and Ray very interesting, at least in a storytelling perspective of character is that they were constantly kind of choosing a light moment and then a dark moment and a light moment and a dark moment. It's the same idea as being in love with someone, right? Like every morning, the best marriages, they always say, you wake up and you choose to love this person and you choose, this is my partner, this is the one I'm going to be with, but you have to do it every day. And it's it's not a thing that you decide once when you're like 20 and great, I'm done. You know, and I think it goes similar for them um, that Ray decides to do a great thing, all right, but she has to keep going and she decides to give in to anger, but that doesn't mean now she is forsaken, and I think that that's something the novelization does better than the film, in my opinion, as well, is both with Kylo slash Ben and with Ray, it shows them both kind of going in and out of these decisions constantly so that by the time yeah. the end gets here and they both make that united decision to come together, right. it, it, it means that much more. Right, right. And that's the that's the bit in the film that is a clear choice of like mm-hmm. light versus dark is when they both choose the light, like it's obviously going in a, in a certain direction and um, – I mean, the dyad whole business made that way more interesting too, which yeah. I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah, no, I mean we're we're definitely going to get to that. Um, but before we do, I just want to I want to get through a little bit more of this, and I'm a little bit thrown right now just because I think that Eric just compared uh, Kylo and Ray to an old married couple. I think, and I heard all the Raylos rejoicing. You know, that's exactly what I did, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a thousand voices cried out and were suddenly silenced. <laughs> I found out. So let's let's talk just a little bit more about what Maz Kanata thinks that you have to do. Speaking to of an old married really, couple. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of Maz Kanata and Chewbacca. Hell yeah. Um, let's talk about what she thinks you have to do to basically figure out where you where you stand in all of this. So what she tells Ray on page 55 is to find the darkest place in the galaxy, you'll need to face the darkest part of yourself. And that seems to be a bit of a callback to Luke's moment with uh, the the tree on Dagobah, right? But do you think that's what she was basically trying to say? Is she saying that you have to work through... No, no, no. I'm not even going to give you a, a prompt as to what I think she's saying. Mm-hmm. What do you think she's trying to say with this quote? To find the darkest place in the galaxy, you need to face the darkest part of yourself. I think she's telling Ray that you're not going to be ready to face this kind of evil unless you know it can exist within you. Like, in order to, like, if you witness... But also, why did, nobody te- why did nobody tell her she was a Palpatine then? Like, you already gave her this these vague kind of statements like this. Leia and Maz. Yeah. Maz knew, too, right? Wasn't that implied? I, not... Uh... Not that I read. I th- Not that I understood. I thought it was implied that Maz knew also, somehow. I can't remember. Because Maz knows all. Maz does know all. I'll Maz give you that knows. at least. She does know everything, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it just, it really strikes me that, I don't know what they're trying to say. Are they trying to, is, was, was Maz trying to tell her that she needs to face the dark side in general? Because what has she been doing this entire time? Is Maz get the feeling that she's going to try to cut and run like she did? I mean, because she did go to Acto at the very end of the film. I feel like it's Maz's way of telling her, like, you've faced some evil stuff before, but the evil shit on Exegol is going to push you further than you could ever kind of imagine. And I think she's it's also a warning against the seduction of power. Because she's like, mm-hmm. you're going to go, you're going to see the Sith throne. You're going to see the fact that you can rule over an entire universe. Like, And if you don't prepare yourself, then you're you're going to give in. 
so, so to put it another way, if you don't play through that scenario in your mind, you're not going to have the resistance to say no because it's going to feel so appealing. But if you acknowledge that within you first, okay, I want this. I can see how this can happen. Then when it happens, you're more prepared as opposed to saying, no, there's no way it'll happen. There's no way it'll happen and not emotionally preparing yourself. Then when it happens, you're just going to give in. Yeah, that's fair. That sounds right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I like that answer. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) All right. So I kind of want to wrap things up with just this first half of the dyad here with a quote from page 187. Uh, And it's Luke talking to Ray. And he says, some things are stronger than blood. And she basically thinks to herself how true that is. And she says, the force is stronger than blood and friendship and love. And... So I wanted to point this out to to kind of say, you know, this is really why it's fine, in my opinion, and I want to hear your thoughts as well, that she calls herself Ray Skywalker at the end, because she's saying, I mean, this to me is the message of the story in and of itself, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, I think it totally is. I mean, again, it's not the message we needed, but it's the message we deserved. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's It's the message that we talked about, like, that this film didn't really need to say that the, the what the film could have said at the end of Last Jedi was that, you know, even if you're nobody, you can still be somebody. And now the message is you can choose to be anywhere, anybody you want, even though, you know, you are by blood something else. And the force is what makes that possible. So uh, I like that they addressed it in this way and that it's the force that, that, that decides things, right? It's not, it's not just choosing some arbitrary decision like I'm not a nobody anymore or I'm a Skywalker instead of a Palpatine. It's the force directs people to make the decision, which I think is uh, really cool and and is a good way to tie in the sort of living force into this decision making, which was arguably kind of weird. Yeah, totally. And I think it also reinforces the fact that when she takes the name at the end, it's because she wants to honor the line that helped her so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it also reads a lot to me like um, like an adopted child that is adopted later in life taking their adopted parent's name. It's like. Yes, my blood brought me something else, but you raised me, you taught me things. I want to carry on your legacy, and I'm making that choice myself, so I will then take this name to represent that. And I think that now adding in that force element kind of weaves that sentimentality of what Luke and Leia and Ben ended up doing for her in with the destiny of the Force and the Jedi to kind of make this lovely little Sunday. Yeah. If you will. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that pretty much puts it perfectly. So uh, I'm not mad. She's a Skywalker. That's no. that's kind of the last <laughs> thing I have to say about that. You know, I, I think I think I think um, it works pretty well. And I want to dive into the second half of the dyad here, Charles, as well. But before we do, we're gonna take a real quick break. That was our stuff about Ray. Now we're gonna dive into Ben Solo in just a couple minutes. Be right back. Hey, look at these guys. What do you know? Is your pal Watto talking about uh, about uh, these books and stuff? Oh, I don't know about that, but uh, but I saw this book later, and that's my face on it. That's right. That's the best, the best book you could imagine. It's uh, it's the novelization for the Phantom Menace. Uh, yeah, it's the best movie because it does the most Watto in it. Oh yes, I mean some of these books it has a has a picture of Lil Annie on it, or the or the girl I, I don't know her name, but 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 one of the book has Watto, so it has to be a good book, right? So so make sure you go on the on the Yatini whatever, and and you get the book that has the, the picture of your buddy Watto, the, the Phantom Menace novelization, huh? and then you come and see me, and, and we we roll some chance cubes, we read some books, it'll be a good time. <laughs> That's right, okay, alright. Back to back to these guys, and we are back. More rise of Skywalker right now. Now, do it. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much clearer I could be. <laughs> like, who is Eric yelling at? God, the world, Corey, forever, the dark, endless void in which we all swirl. So speaking of whiny wow. babies, let's talk about Kylo Ren. Uh, <laughs> Good transition. No, and there really, go half let's... our subscribers. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Sorry about that. So let's talk about Kylo Ren. But you know who I want to talk about first to talk about Kylo Ren? The actual whiny baby head with a 
spider thing on top of it. The Eye of Webbish Bog that we learned about in this book, which was like a brand new thing. Right, I didn't know about this. Did you guys know about this? Yeah. Did you see leaks no. of this? Back I did. In the day? Yeah, yeah, I read. I read about it. It was in the I concept art. The Oracle. This is the Oracle, right? Yeah, it's in the art of the Red Skywalker book that came out last week <clears throat> here, but it came out in like South Korea, I think, last December. Yeah, I for one am glad that this guy was not in the film. I now, agree. I, I like this quote that you're about to read here, uh, Charles. I like this a lot. Uh, but I, I maybe would have liked to hear it as maybe just a voice. Uh, when he picked up the, if they did put the whole the introduction into the film, if they would have put this everything that happened on uh, Mustafar in the film, if he would have like held held the thing, what's it called the wayfinder. the wayfinder held the wayfinder in this Sith voice, like spoke this to him, then maybe it would have been okay. But I'm really glad that they didn't put this weird alien in there for two seconds. I could not disagree awkward. more. I love oh my, my weird ass Star Wars aliens. I want a little alien on top of a big baby head alien not coming for, out of the fog. Not for not for two seconds, just to have a speaking role, though. That would have been weird and unnecessary. Uh, it makes me it. think. It. it makes me think of the doll head with the spider legs from Toy Story, <laughs> like Sid's one of his yeah. monster creations. Yeah, no, I could. I, 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 you know, I can see it for sure. But I, I really like the utility of it. So maybe I'll meet you in the middle. I wanted my creature, but also I really loved that it was like, oh, the Wayfinder, it's over there. Like, yeah. even that was useful, because in the movie, he's like, kill, 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 kill. Zoom in on this thing we'd never seen with a symbol we don't know, and it's like, got it. You know? Right. They could have they left all that out. I mean, they obviously made a lot of cuts uh, of, like, the interdu- the beginning of the film. I don't know why they didn't just cut out the entire Mustafar arc. Oh, entirely. it's so good. Because it looked too I like cool. it in the book a lot. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it was either, it was either like, I don't know. They could have either made it long like it was supposed to have been originally or they could have just cut it out entirely i don't know why they had to show it for three seconds like i mean we really i mean what 30 seconds of mustafar oh, in the film like, yeah no probably, i, I yeah. So, sorry they could, I, they, I misunderstood they i agree i think that in the book yeah when they fleshed it out i really like it i really like i did too especially really the, the framing also. of hux and pride we talked about this way back oh when my hux god and that pride was great watching him like a like be a feral animal and stuff yes so yeah so, totally agree with all that i wish we would have left the whole thing in the film yeah no, agreed as well. And, you know, the Eye of Webbish Bog basically serves as what you mentioned, Corey, an oracle. Like, it has a very Greek mythology um, kind of feel to it. And it basically makes a prediction, or it, it tells Kylo Ren, if you proceed down this path, you will encounter your true self. Uh, so was the Eye of Webbish Bog seeing the future, and was it actually predicting... Ren's turn back into the light. What do you guys think? Ooh, that's a good question. There's something maybe he there. recognizes. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's the what the past would path would reveal about anyone, right? Is it's gonna it's gonna reveal their true self, whether that is someone that's chasing the dark side or someone chasing the light side. It's just maybe a kind of a general eerie warning that. This path is going to be challenging. It's going to make you look deep within. So you know, if you're if you encounter the wrong self that this situation necessitates, then you're probably going to get killed. Maybe that's what he's implying. You guys know what this oracle reminded me of? The Bendu. This is totally yeah. <laughs> like Mustafar Bendu. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like talking about the Force. It's like you have come here, Kylo Ren. Not Jedi Knight. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what you guys have to look forward to on the Ghost Crew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baby! Just the description of him and kind of the way uh, Eric puts a a voice to the the imagery, I feel like uh, he would be boyfriend to Lady Proxima because they're both (laughs) pretty disgusting. Oh my yeah. god, baby yes. Proxima. <laughs> How was work today? Oh. Well, I found a little mini Sith baby, and he was not going to be. What do you mean, a baby? Sorry, little baby head, which I ride all the time. <laughs> That's coming on Disney Plus. <laughs> Oracle and Proxima. Oh, man. Okay, well, I don't know that anyone answered my question. No, Corey, you answered my question. Um, Corey did good. So I I like I like what you had to say. You know, ultimately, uh, 
this was one of those vague things that could have been a Jedi prophecy, and it's going to come true no matter what happens. Uh, so yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, now let's move on to page 25. So not further past, uh, not much further past what we were already reading, but it's talking about when Kylo Ren first heard basically Palpatine's voice uh, and what it meant to him. And this passage says Kylo knew that voice. He'd heard it his whole life. As a young man, it had been like the wisp of a dream, one he couldn't quite grasp. Then the Emperor's transmission had flooded the galaxy, and Kylo had begun to dread that Palpatine had somehow survived, that his had been the whispering voice that had comforted, guided, tormented him for so many years. So first of all, it's the most Palpatine thing of all time, okay? Second of all, yes, it is. this is something that got fleshed out, I think, really well in the Kylo Ren comic where we actually saw what this passage is saying like where palpatine was actually i think like comforting kylo through the use of snoke uh Mm -hmm. and then you know eventually we see how that turned into torment when we get to the last jedi and and what have you but Mm -hmm. i mean what what did you guys think about this moment both in the book and in the film because the film was able to do it in an even cooler way, I would argue, in having the different voices, you know, speak right. in one sentence. But, but this yeah. whole idea of Palpatine basically whispering, as creepy as this sounds to him, since he was young, like, what do you think yeah. about that? I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, it really feels like hardcore EU stuff yeah. um, to me. And like having Palpatine come back in this way. Uh, in that he's been kind of guiding Ben's decision making his entire life is is perfect. Like it's perfect for Ben's character development and perfect for the return of Palpatine. Now all that being said, it still happened really, really fast. Palpatine coming back in this book still happened really, really fast. And like I would argue that maybe if we would have if 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 Palpatine if if Ben slowly started to realize that he had been here in uh, Palpatine's voice his entire life, like maybe about 20% through the film or in through the book, I think it would have had a little more weight because like yeah. this is classic for, for book timing, right? Like there's a whole bunch of backstory stuff and then finally they reveal the villain like several chapters in, right? It's never just, you know, in the film, it was literally in the crawl, the first three words of the crawl, right? And the damn, I'm still never going to get over the fact that the, uh, that the damn, the damn transmission was released live in a Fortnite game. Like that makes me want to blow my brains out. Like what the hell? Like that's the most ridiculous thing ever. They played that in the, in a Fortnite game. And that's how we all found out that Palpatine was back, which is like, what the hell? Like, I'm still not over it, like Palpatine being back so fast. But I do really like the way that they did this in that Kylo slowly realized it in the book. It wasn't so instantaneous. Yeah, and I do think it really does a nice job with Kylo's character because you realize all he's really ever wanted was to make these voices stop in a way. Yeah, you know, and uh-huh. that, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and so, okay, I'm going to be the darkest, most powerful person ever because then if I'm all powerful, the voices stop. And then at the end, it's like, no, actually... If I go all the way to the light and banish the darkness, then the voices stop. So I think he's always going towards the same goal. His whole life has just been bouncing between the avenues to get there, all the while having the burden of every famous Star Wars legacy on his shoulders. <laughs> like, this yeah. guy's life was impossible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was. And, I mean, that's kind of what led to, I think, the ultimate tragedy. But just knowing that Palpatine was behind all of these different people that he thought he had and different influences that he thought he had. And it all just comes back to one man. Uh, and you know what I think? Evil would, man. On, yeah. On this note, what would be kind of cool if they ever did a, from a certain point of view type book for rise of Skywalker. Like I want the short story of the guy on Exegol. That's like putting the stuff into Palpatine. That's like, Oh, another day, another chemical. And like, because then we can at least have the background of people working on Palpatine and, and having the years and years of, oh, he's sending another message to the boy or like, you know, just something going on to show that Palpatine was actually yeah. putting in the work. Because I think we can mentally, you know, fill in those gaps as we're doing on this very show. But I think that could be open later on, too, to kind of help both Ben mm-hmm. and Palpatine's characters. I want to know what the hell is going on with all of those people on Exegol. I mean, there's clearly, like, an entire civilization there. Like, they built thousands of Star Destroyers. It went into that a little bit in the book. Yeah, I think it's the new Sith homeworld as far as I can understand, right? 
That's what it seems like. The Sith Eternal, whoever those are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll never know. Maybe we're done <laughs> cults, with this for man. the next ten years. We may never know, actually. But uh, we are yeah. going to touch on that a little bit more, kind of later on when we dive into the extra scenes, kind of in detail that were in this book. But, um, guys, I want to move on to some pretty heavy stuff. Okay, so everyone, kind of get your tissues ready, get your get your deep breath, and. Uh, and let's dive right in because on page 96, we see the quote, that's why Kylo was still in agony. That's why he couldn't shake the memory of his father's hand against his cheek of those eyes full of love and understanding. And my heart broke. So guys, let's talk about the Han Solo scene. Um, yeah, we had to get to it at some point. I've been trying actively to avoid it because I don't know that I'm emotionally prepared for this. I'm not going to ask Eric to reread the whole scene because one, it was pretty much identical to the movie, and two, because YouTube will pull us again. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do that. Yeah. But it opens up the same way with the "Hey Kid," and Kylo's yeah. response in the in the book says the familiarity was like a lightsaber through his gut. How mm. fitting, right? Did this did this make sense? Did it click? I, like, I, will, I will. I will say that this is one of those few places that I think the screen actually did it more justice in the book, mm. in my opinion. I don't know if you guys think, but when because the camera is on Kylo Ren's face when Han Solo says "Hey, kid," and yeah. Adam Driver absolutely flipping nailed that scene. He did. Like the emotion that he shows in his face is both shock and horror and like sadness all at the same time. Somehow, it was very, very well done. Yeah, and 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 how he. He really bookends the scene by just saying "dad," and the word catches mm-hmm. in his throat. Oh my god! I'm just like, and, and, and I think that this is one of those scenarios where we talked last week about whether we had wanted to read the book before seeing the movie in a perfect mm-hmm. world, right? I think this is one of those where I was so glad I had seen the film so I could replay their performances in my head as yeah, I read that's it. That's a good point because they did such a <clears throat> great a job. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely agreed. Uh, overall, did did this kind of serve as the turning point for Kylo Ren into Ben for y'all reading the book in the same way that it did in the film? Like, did you leave this scene being like, heck yeah, Ben Solo's back. Like, let's get to Excal. Let's do this thing. Yeah, baby. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I did also to the point where the narration in the book changes. Like, because she says Kylo, 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 and then Ray Carson writes Ben, Ben, Ben from here on out. Like, there's literally a shift in the prose of the novel telling you what's going on. And I mm-hmm. think it's also because we now know, based on the film, what's coming. And I think like, Ben Solo shot to the top of my favorite characters because of the last, you know, third of this movie with him as Ben. Um, and I think having this little bit of extra time in his head. It did end with a really great cliffhanger of, all right, what's next? Let's go. Ben's going to come rock it out. Like, it, it really did get me excited as I read it. Um, because at this point, I read this point to the end of the book in one sitting because I was at work with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So I did get to have that momentum that Carson is so good at writing and just kind of catapulted me to the end for sure. Yeah. It, Eric, it's almost like you're the one that has my questions and not. Corey, because my next point was basically <laughs> the little things that you can do in this scene that you can't necessarily do in the movie, like what Ray Carson did with saying Kylo this, Kylo this, Kylo this, and then in the middle of the scene shifting to calling him Ben. And I think it's immediately, it, it's pretty much immediately after uh, I think Han calls him Ben, if, I, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. It's Han or Leia, one of the two. It, it's yeah. one, one of his parents names him then right. Kylo essentially Kylo dies like like even Han says Kylo Ren is dead my son is alive right you know right. it may even be that line actually yeah yeah but it, it was really subtle it was really beautifully done and it's those kind of little things that I think it, are possible to even miss on your first pass through this book that easily yeah that uh that are really well done um and so we know that ultimately you know the vision of Han fades away this is right after Leia dies and we we get the scene end, ending with uh, the line, when he turned back, the memory of his father was gone, and Ben Solo was alone in the middle of the sea. And we know that he feels incredibly alone right now, but he feels even more alone 
on page 237 when we're getting to the end of his journey and Ray has seemingly died. Uh, and he thinks to himself, but anyone who could have shown him the way forward, helped him to be Ben again, was gone. Luke, his parents, and now Ray. So do you all think this was his motivation for giving up his life? Is it because he felt like there was no one to show him his way? Uh, or do you think that it was just to give Ray back to the galaxy? Like, Walk me through his thought process from your point of view. For this part of the book, I, I think Ray Carson did a lot of great things with this novel. The end of the book with Ben here might be her, her greatest feat for me. I think that the way she wrote his thought process, the way she wrote all of this was freaking stellar. Um, and I think that from my understanding based on her writings is that this was an act out of justice and light and hope. It was not an act of fear not an act of sadness or feeling alone like oh don't leave me i can't survive without you or i can't i've I've lost everyone like i don't think ben did that i think that the 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 peace that falls over ben's face in the film as he like places his hand on her on her stomach is very evident in the writing of the scene in the book i think that he is he knows what he's gonna do he's good with it and he's like i've put a lot of darkness into the galaxy now i can bring back this light and I can do this, and this is the best choice for everyone going forward. And it's it's a completely selfless, like, r- peaceful act. That's at least what I got from it. Yeah. I mean, I still don't know the answer to the question, why did Ben turn to the light necessarily? Because uh, it's, it's kind of weird to me that Ray was able to get through to him the way that his parents were not able to get through to him, which I I still don't quite understand that. I don't really understand why he why he necessarily gave up his life for Ray. I mean, it's weird that he recognizes in this moment that he has no one to guide him forward. I don't know. Still a hard question for me to address. Well, and I think one of the uh, to to borrow a, a trick from you, Charles, on page two thirty seven, at the bottom of it, he says. Uh, he knew exactly what Ray would do in his place. It was the easiest decision he'd ever made. And I think at this mm. point, it's looking at Ray as like one of the best people he'd ever he's known, a person that had always been kind to him no matter their adversities, and being like, I'm going to do what she would do because she inspires me to be a better person. And I think it's also in a way of making up for the fact that he killed his father and that he wasn't there for his mother when she died. He's like, this is... Ray would do this, and I think this makes helps me atone for this and this. Um, that's why I got. I think it's a, a combination of Han, Leia, and Ray at the end, as opposed to just one. At least from my interpretation of it. Yeah, I think also to to your point, Corey, we view like Han and Leia as like these perfect individuals, and in a lot of ways they can do no wrong. And so it's hard to think of like, well, how could Kylo not have been? persuaded by them to come back to the light like those are his parents this is han solo and leia organa but you know ultimately he did feel wronged by them he felt like han had left him behind he felt like leia had more or less kind of shipped him off uh to go with luke and had lied to him about his heritage and all these things and ray was someone who had basically been there for him when she had every reason not to be um so i think that's kind of playing into it as well But, all right, great points, guys. I want to kind of round out this part two, which ended up basically being a discussion on the dyad in in and of itself. Um, I want to round this out. It's a big part. Yeah, a little something to do with the film. Um, (laughs) I want to round this out by going back to the three unforgivable sins that we had from our (laughs) sure yeah from our like nineteen hour review of the film. From back in the day. For anyone who's listened to it, God bless you. Um, The three unforgivable sins that we found with the film in that uh, that review were basically, number one, Palpatine is back. Number two, Ray is a Palpatine. And number three, Rose Tico was benched. And really my question is, now that you've read the novelization, uh, have your opinions changed at all? Did the novel make these quote-unquote sins at the very least forgivable or have any of them been entirely resolved 
Yeah, I will, I can go first because I was the most outspoken about this for sure. Um, and I actually I actually kind of regret using the language that I did here. Unforgivable sins is probably a little harsh. Like I was pretty fired up when I wrote the entire prompt for that entire discussion, and even having the discussion, I was like, man, I kind of wish I wouldn't have said unforgivable sins because calling them unforgivable is not quite the right. But it gets word. those I mean, clicks, these, man. It does. I think you made that clicks. point at it the time too. Clicks. You're like, I don't know if yeah, I actually want to say this, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so okay. To answer your question, um, rather addressing them as as sins, which I still would argue that they are sins of the film. Um, you know, have my opinions changed? Uh, do I make them forgivable? Is it entirely resolved? Let me just run through them really quick. Uh, Palpatine being back. Let's just do them one at a time, I guess. Yeah. Palpatine being back, I can accept this now, pretty wholeheartedly. It was it was completely explained in the book, like um, in a really really good manner. Now, given I would like maybe another book or maybe another third size of this book, like to give a little more backstory to how he has had his fingers and everything for since the beginning. Um, but yeah, I think I can accept it. Eric, what about you? Oh uh, yeah. I'm right there with you. I think that that page we talked about last week, um, mm-hmm. that literally sets he's falling to his death. Yeah. yeah. It sets the entire thing in motion. It's, it's the Bane essence transfer. I completely understand how it happened. Again, I think that, in the larger frame of Star Wars is how we view these things rather than individual stories sometimes. In this story, I still have some issues, but as far as the larger frame goes, based on this explanation, makes sense to me. Yeah, agreed. The second one, or Charles, you want to say something about that? No, I mean, I agree. Um, I think the way that it was done in this book uh, makes it just a lot easier to kind of come to terms with, and I already didn't have that big of an issue with it. So, Yeah, that's true. Um Ray is a Palpatine is the second unforgivable sin. I am like still not over this. <laughs> like I find myself thinking about this just randomly. Like it's like it's like I've been traumatized. It's so stupid. I'll just be driving down the road and be like, God, God damn it, Ray's a Palpatine. <laughs> like it'll it'll ruin my afternoon. Like I don't know why. I just had the worst, biggest problem with this so far. In fact, um, I've watched the documentary. I think I mentioned this last week. I've watched the documentary that came with the digital edition of Rise of Skywalker. I still haven't watched the film, and I've had it. I've owned it for like three weeks, and that is bizarre. Like I don't understand something about like the movie is tied to Ray being a Palpatine. I really dislike it. I really dislike it as a story storytelling uh, thing. Just period. It really hurt it for me a lot. Um, did the book do a, a lot better job of like teasing that out and kind of giving more value to it? Yes, absolutely. Like it's definitely more acceptable now after the book, which I think was the intention. But just in general, I really dislike Ray being a Palpatine. I really do. Yeah, I'm again. I'm. It's it's a boring show now because I'm I'm gonna agree with you again. I think that I know. Um, I mean, going forward, if there are more race stories in the next five years, which I I'm not sure there will be. Um, but if there are, and she like, is reckoning with this more, I'm going to be like, okay, cool. What do we got? Like, I'll, I'll be fine. But just, I, I am the same. I've also watched the documentary twice now and have not watched the film. But, but like, when that scene comes up, I, I can't help it, but just cringe a little and like brace myself a little. And it's the, icky. Yeah. It feels and, icky. And, and I, that, I yeah. So this book, like you said, did help that. I'm still not... I still think it's a weird decision only because it wasn't traced back. And I don't know if it will ever change in this context. However, I have hope for the future that when it's referenced in other books, I think it's okay. And more importantly, I think for myself, I think the the story of her being a Palpatine and then overcoming that to become her own person and choosing the Skywalker line is a beautiful message. So I think objectively I can love that message and that story while the point itself still making me feel weird. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Corey, number three. Great. Great. <laughs> Charles is okay with it. <laughs> number three, Rose Tico being binged. This is an unforgivable sin for me in the film. Like, no way around it for all the political reasons that we already named. In, did in, the, uh... But did this book soften the blow? Because there was more Rose yeah. in well, this book. Well, okay. The unforgivable sin is that Rose Tico was benched in the film. Yeah, now, really. as the storytelling perspective, was it more acceptable? I didn't even notice it in the book. Not at all. She Did you guys notice it? Okay, so she got one, like maybe two lines, and there was one that said, 
because she did something in the Battle of Exegol that was extra, and it said, in that moment, like, Rose Tico saved a bunch of lives. I'm like, that's cool, but she still got totally benched, so I think yeah. that... She had, unfor- she had a lot of new dialogue, though. She had, like, two Yeah, I thought she had a lot of new dialogue. Like, she talked to Rey, and one when she talked to Finn on the way to the final battle. Like, yeah. there was definitely more material. The, the, the biggest... Honestly, speaking of the documentary, which again, the Skywalker Legacy, it's freaking beautiful. Watch it if you have the episode nine uh, Mm -hmm. Blu-ray. They mentioned that Billy Lord as Connix and Kelly Marie Tran as Rose shot a scene together and they both loved it. That scene never saw the light of day and it's not in this book. And that kind of breaks my heart a little more because I'm like, they literally filmed their reactions on the day they shot it. And they're like, this is my favorite thing we've done in the movie. And and she was so happy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like put 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 that in. And where is here. it? Where the hell is it, man? Yeah, there I'm are not, no deleted scenes. Yeah, what I'm is up gonna... with that? That has got to be a weird political yeah. controversial decision. There's no deleted scenes. So yeah, sorry. That third that third one remains an unforgivable sin. Unfortunately, now I'm I'm not gonna like berate people for doing it. I'm not gonna like keep it going. I, I I'm gonna go forward loving Rose, loving Kelly Marie Tran, like supporting her and everything she does, but. Whereas the first two are things this book could help, the third one, it 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 didn't swing the pendulum enough, and it remains. I thought it did for me a little bit. Uh, it did it, for me a little bit. It it still erases her, so it's still a okay. bummer, yeah. guys. It it sticks. It is in my still craw. a bummer, and that, and that's a lot of stuff. That's what I'm saying about this a lot. This book and this movie is a lot of it is kind of a bummer in a lot of ways. Now Ray Carson did a hell of a job cleaning it up a little bit, but still, I'm a little bummed out. Okay. Well, you know what? Next week we are going to lift your spirits, Eric's spirits, everyone's spirits, yeah, because we're going to talk about all those extra things that Ray Carson did throw in, all the scenes, yes. all the dialogue. Then we're going to go to all the things that we basically learned from this movie out of those scenes, and we're going to wind up with all of the Easter eggs and connective tissue, as I like to call it, to other things in the expanded universe. But until then, Eric, I'll throw it over to you. All right, and again, reminder, that is going to be next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern is when we're usually going live. We would love to have you here to be in the chat. Those of you that were here tonight, thank you so much. We love hanging out with you. But on that note, that is going to do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking to buy this book you haven't yet, sorry about these spoilers, but if you want to support the show, Look up your book on Utini. Click the Amazon link on the profile. We'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you want to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon.com slash Utini, where we got a bunch of extra shows, or on TeePublic, where we have Utini t-shirts. Also, we have a Rise of Skywalker t-shirt. We got a Lost Stars t-shirt. We got a Queen Shadow t-shirt. All your book t-shirt needs right over there. And remember... Tonight, we have a super awesome special episode of Aftermath. We're going to dive into the most recent episode of The Clone Wars. This is a special treat. We usually don't do Bounty Hunt Live, but tonight we are. If you are an Inquisitor tier or above, head over to Patreon right now to join us for Aftermath. If you're already on Patreon, now is the time to upgrade. If you're not yet an Inquisitor or up, you have time to make it to Live Aftermaths and get those special, special Ghost Crew episodes. A special thank you to Drew Iberondo and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council and Timothy Dunlap and Ross Orlando on our Alliance High Command. Thank you for your amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, you're such a good community manager. Thank you to Corey, to Charles, to Wes for podcasting with me. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.